what if the Lord had not been on our side? That seems like an odd question to ask. What if the Lord had not been on our side? But to be honest, it's, it's shaken me up. Because I want to live a life that is aware of my absolute need for the Lord. If I'm honest with myself, I can realize that I'm spending so much of my life trying to avoid situations where I might need the Lord's help. And I think if we're all honest here, I think that a lot of us are guilty of that. We tend to overestimate ourselves, but we all need the Lord's help. Regardless of our situation, um, nobody could have access to the Father without being covered by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He has done what only he could do. (laughs) He's given us the reward that he deserved while he took our punishment that we deserved. And that is the sweet message of the gospel. That is why we gather every Sunday. That is why we live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit, because of that message. You know, what a gift it is to have God's word. (laughs) So often we take it for granted. It's our source of truth. It's a fountain that combats the enemy's lies. It's an anchor for the weary. It can even be a steady handrail for those that are struggling to keep you from falling. One of the most beautiful aspects of God's word is that we see not only the incredible truths that come alive, but we see the history of God's people. And through the centuries of moments where their faith met head-on with their fear, we see what looked to be impossible, an impossible situation that God turned it around and God prevailed. And we see in that very same moment that turmoil and pain and tears can later bring faith, calmness, and assuredness. It's in those moments of difficulty that we are met with our dependency on God, our eyes turn to God because, if we're honest, where else would they turn? We must constantly remind ourselves who God is. And throughout the Bible, we see repeated instructions for God's people to teach their children, to remind them about their history, so much so that they had festivals that they celebrated and attended, and in those festivals, they quoted certain scriptures so that they would never forget God's amazing power and his amazing goodness. And that's, that's the reason why we sing songs like this as well, church, to remind ourselves of God's goodness. It's an incredible gift that we get to pass down to the other generations, that we get to pass to our children, and we see that all through the Bible. Now, there's a group of psalms in the Bible called the Songs of Ascent. And these psalms were meant to be sung, read, or recited as the people of Israel were were traveling to the town of Jerusalem. They'd go there about sometimes up to three times a year for, for these festivals if you didn't live in Jerusalem. And they, as they would go to get there, you have to actually climb up because Jerusalem's situated sort sort of on a hilltop, and it's 2,800 feet above sea level. And so whichever way you come, you have to go up, and you have to walk up the hill. So as they're walking up, they're meant to remind themselves of God's power, of God's promises. They're meant to turn their eyes to the Lord, to turn their eyes up to their goal, the city on the hill. And I just, I want to examine one of these psalms today. 
It's in Psalm 124. It says this. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a psalm of David. It starts off like this. What if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all Israel repeat. What if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Praise the Lord, who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from a hunter's trap. The trap is broken, and we are free. Our help is from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Now, apart from being one of my my favorite psalms, (laughs) We see in the psalm that we see gratitude and praise for a God who takes care of his people. They went through terribly difficult times. However, those difficult times can actually be turned into songs of praise. And so there's three things that I just want to address in this psalm quickly before we move on to another passage. But in this psalm, we see three things happening. Okay? The first thing I want to address is that first we need to rightly estimate our enemy. And rightly realize our weaknesses. That kind of flies in the face of a lot of these um, positive thinking, but we need to, to ask ourselves, what if God hadn't been there for us? Because that is the question that a person who recognizes just how terrible the situation was. Their enemy was readying to attack, to swallow them alive, in rage and in fury. Their situation was bleak, and they were in trouble. And really, regardless of your experiences in life, we all have the same enemy, and we need to understand that this enemy absolutely hates us, Satan. We are God's workmanship, the ones made in his image. And our opposition does not waver in conviction or dedication. No, Satan will constantly be setting traps and snares in our lives, appealing to the idolatrous heart with promises based on lies and not on truth. While it is important to recognize your weaknesses, we can't just remain stagnant in our fear. No, we must stand behind our Lord. We must draw close to him. And that leads us to the second point is we need to rightly recognize our deliverer. Praise the Lord <laughs> that didn't let their teeth tear us apart. Notice how, how the psalmist looks at the Lord's hand over them. He was the one in control the whole time. <laughs> it was the Lord's hand that intervened. It was the Lord that kept us from the enemy's burning anger. Ask yourself this. Who is God? What is he like? How has he kept his promises in the past? Recognize who your deliverer is because God is able. God is powerful. He loves you so much that the Father sent his son to die in our place. The trap is broken and we are free. (laughs) That trap that we so easily find ourselves trapped in, helpless, it is broken The snare is cut. God's grace and goodness overpowers the enemy. We have to remind ourselves of who God is. 
recognizing the deliverer, even in our times of failure, even in our times of shame, we must run to him and not doubt his love. Finally, we need to rightly praise God's goodness and his faithfulness. Now, if we are to examine God's attributes, and if we are to examine just how incredible his love and his grace is, it's going to lead us to praise him. Regardless of the condition that you may be in, our, our praise should just flow out before, during, and after the battle. <laughs> Reminding ourselves who God is will lead you to praise him, his goodness, his power, his love. Recognize his sovereign hand and, and focus on the Lord, and, and that's going to change your perspective. A lot of times we can get so focused on our problem and it's because the problem is right here in front of us. And we don't realize just how big and powerful God is because we have our problem right here. But if we're to change our perspective and actually to, to, to look at how big and how powerful and how incredible God's love is, that problem is so minuscule later. That's why perspective will shape your praise but your praise also shapes your perspective. That psalm and others like it, it'll influence the way we approach our battles, the way that we approach life. And it's because praise does shape our perspective because when we focus on God, our problem before us, it could never eclipse him. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on a passage. It's a story of a king found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, it's, it's, it's a long story, but I'm going to pause along the way, and I'm going to point out a few things. And this story occurred about 200 years after David wrote that psalm. A lot of things had changed, but God was the same. I'm going to read it, okay? It starts like this, chapter 20, 2 Chronicles. It said, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. All right, Jehoshaphat is a funny name, but he was a great king. But look at what it says right here. Three armies joining forces to defeat one nation, God's people. When the enemy is trying to defeat you, he doesn't play fair. <laughs> look at that. Three enemies against one. So messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazan Tamar, which is another name for En Gedi. Now, this was in the shores of the Dead Sea. For a little geography lesson, the Dead Sea is the lowest point in land on the globe. It's the lowest valley, <laughs> Okay, and these people, these armies were forming, and some historians believe that they actually crossed a shallow portion of the Dead Sea. They were, it was literally an army from the Dead Sea. I mean, that sounds terrible. And they made it to the shore, and they're getting ready to come and defeat Judah. Let's see how King Jehoshaphat handled it. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem 
to seek the Lord's help. They came to Jerusalem, just like, so think about what songs or what psalms they might have been reciting as they were entering into Jerusalem. All the people from the towns outside were coming there together to seek the Lord's help. They began to fast and they sought the Lord. They didn't sharpen their spears. They didn't pull together all their arrows and swords and, and figured out who was the strongest of them all. They sought the Lord because they knew that they were lost without him. They rightly saw their opposition, but it did not paralyze them. Now look at what King Jehoshaphat does here. He, he actually reminds his people who God is. He reminds them of what he's like, and he reminds them of how he has worked in the past. It says this in verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah in Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard in the temple of the Lord, and he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. And they said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war or plague or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. What an incredible reminder that he gave to his people that day. And this is the second part of his prayer. And now see, see what the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. So they went around them and did not destroy them. And now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Everybody was there. Everybody was there united in their need. Young and old, they had complete dependence on the Lord right there. It says this in verse 13, that all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, with their wives and their children. The spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there, and his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite who is a descendant of Asaph. Now, why are all those names important? Well, Asaph was the author of a lot of different psalms. We get the family history and the lineage there because the author wants us to know this actually happened. This was an actual event. It's not a made-up fairy tale. And this is what Jehaziel said that day. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours but God's, this is not your battle. It is God's battle. So what are you battling with, church? Surrender 
that battle? (laughs) What is it that you're struggling with? Don't try to manage it. Don't try to overpower the enemy. (laughs) But give it to the Lord and be obedient to the instructions that he has given us and that he will give you. These were his instructions. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged, but go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Koath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. And early the next morning, the army of Judah went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me. All you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. Believe in his prophets, church. Believe in the words of the prophets. Believe in God's word. Verse 21. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sing. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Now, does that strike you as odd? How do you want to enter into a battle? If I'm thinking under my own strength, I I want to put my strongest men up front, my most heavily armed men um, Whatever I have, I'm going to put it at the front to try to scare the enemies. No, he puts singers up front. And it's not even a song about God's wrath and power. They chose to sing a song thanking God for his everlasting love. Now, does that influence the way that we approach our problems? Think of the way that we pray. Think of how we should pray. Let's praise God when we are met with turmoil. Let's thank God for his faithfulness and for his love, even when we don't see a way out. Praise the Lord for his enduring love when we know that there is an enemy that's trying to defeat me. We need to choose to worship. Now look at what happens. At that very moment that they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder, and they found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could even carry. 
There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. And it is still called the Valley of Blessing today. I love that the author added that. That the Valley of Blessing. typically, Typically, when we think about a valley, it's not a blessing. We usually talk about mountain peaks and valleys and how we go through difficult valleys and To be honest, a valley is a perfect place to set an ambush. It's a perfect place for the enemy to set a trap because you're surrounded. It's a perfect place to squash an army. And I find it so ironic and so incredible that that valley, which would have appeared to be the trap and snare that the enemy had set for God's people, was now called the Valley of Blessing. And what that shows is that God is able to work in your worst day, in your deepest need, in that addiction, in that struggle, in that thing that you're dealing with and that you are trying to get through on your own. God can meet you there and change that into a valley of blessing that you will never forget and that you will sing praises to him about later on and be able to tell your children and pass that down to their children. (laughs) And it is only by his grace that he can transform that valley into a blessing. He is the only one that is able to do that. Verse 27 says, Then all the men returned to Jerusalem, with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps and lyres and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. Where'd they go? To the temple to continue the praise. When all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Now that is a challenging story, church. It's challenging, but look, look at what happens at the end. There's rest on every side, and only God can do that. Look at this. Look at when they chose to praise God. Because a lot of times praise isn't automatic. A lot of times we have to instruct our souls and we have to instruct ourselves, I will praise you. I choose to worship you now, Lord. They praised him before the battle. They praised him during the battle. And they praised him after the battle. And isn't that a sign of just how important it is to have people in your life that will call you to surrender what you have to God? To remind your brother, your sister, to remind yourself who God is, what he's done in your life and what he's done in the past. And if you're brand new to this, then that's great because we have an entire book full of people have stories of how God changed their life. We can read the word and see how the same God that rescued David, that rescued Jehoshaphat, is here working today. But what if the Lord had not been on our side? 
that, that question, it's challenging to me. Because if I, if I really believe this is the word of God, and I want to follow it, then I want to be able to say there's no way that I would have made it. There's no way that I would be here today if it wasn't for God. I don't want to live a life that's able to be done by my own strength because I know that God has called me to do more than my own strength. I want to live a life that brings glory to God, that I can say it, that other people can say it's only by God's grace that he's able to do that. But you know what? We can praise God and thank him right now because we don't have to battle for our salvation. That was secured when Jesus took it upon himself to make a way for me to cry out directly, oh God, won't you come? Oh God, won't you save me from this trap? I don't know if you guys have had that earnest prayer with God before. But you are able to pray directly like that because Jesus died on the cross so that we can have that direct communication through him. So what is it that you're struggling with? What is it that you have been battling with? What is it that it looks like there's three enemies and they're all coming together to defeat you? Oh, we need to cry out directly to God and say, oh God, won't you come? Jesus, won't you save me from this trap? I don't, I don't want to keep sinning like this. I don't want to live a life in defeat. I don't want to live a life constantly and remorse, and grief, and pain. I want to praise you. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to you for help. You know, I find it very interesting that Judah still had to march into battle, but they did it praising the Lord. You know, how much easier would it have been for Judah if they could have just sat at home, prayed to God, and say, you know what, God, just do what you need to do and take care of that enemy. I really don't want to march out in the battle. They would have missed the valley of blessing. They would have missed a chance to see God's incredible power. Think of how they're able to now tell their children I know what would have happened if God was not on our side. We would have been overwhelmed. We would have been defeated. Their wrath and their fury would have just overtaken us like a torrent. But praise the Lord that he did not let them tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from the hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. It's when the Psalms become your own testimony that's when they become your praise. And so I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to, to start making their way up. We're going to sing a song. Um, and it's basically to turn our focus on Jesus. And I don't know what your situation is. 
I don't know what issues that you have gone through. Um, but I'm going to ask you to choose to worship right now. Perhaps the battle's not quite here, but you know it's coming. Perhaps you're right in the middle of a battle. Or perhaps the battle happened and now you don't know what's happening now. <laughs> Let's worship God. Let's thank him. Let's praise him.